Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer, one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare, I'm an author, a poet and hairy dad. Uh, I also am now apparently a podcast presenter and uh, this is my podcast. It's a podcast for writers, also for readers. Everyone is welcome. Uh, Everyone in those two categories, which, you know, some people aren't. Um, but it's lovely to have you here. If, you're, if you've been here for a while and you've listened to a few episodes, you know what it's all about. But on the off chance that you haven't listened to an episode and this is your landing pad, this is the episode that you're um, climbing aboard our great uh, lurching prison hulk of a vessel. Um, if, if this is the one you're getting on to, then uh, basically... Some episodes I look at a listener's first page. You've been sending me in your first pages of your works in progress, your WIPs. Um, so it might be a novel. It might be a short story, although my favourite thing to look at is novels. And I uh, give feedback on things I can think can be made better and things that I think are doing well. And it's quite a fun way for me to drill down into bits and pieces of the uh, writing progress. And process and you know like what a story is and what language does and what a sentence does and the different use it's like language is bananas right and we we kind of I, it's, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated uh by it as you'd as you'd hope i had lauren groff on the last episode of the show and she talked about language she said uh, language is the ocean i swim in when she was talking about uh, her experience as a poet informing her fiction. And I think that's actually quite a good way of distinguishing kind of literary fiction versus commercial uh, fiction without casting aspersions at either that um, that interest in the kind of what language does. Being kind of a language nerd, right? Like I always think of like one definition of a nerd is a, a nerd is interested and invested in the thing itself as well as what it does. So like a toaster nerd doesn't just like toasters because they make you toast, although that might have been the way that they got into toasters, but they they really like comparing toasters, partially because like getting really into toasters is going to get them the best toast, uh, even if that's just like little micro filaments better toast, but also because then they found out about the history of toasters and they got really into it and, oh, look, here's one that does that does bagels and poaches an egg. Is that good? Oh, uh, this one. And they start, get, and you get into timers, and do you, do you want one that pops up? Do you want a side-loading toaster? Um, they become f fascinated by the different options and sandwich toasters and versus just a grill. And they care about it, and they read about it, and they investigate in it, and they take toasters apart. And that thing becomes a pleasure in itself. And I think being a writing nerd or a story nerd is kind of being interested about taking the back of the pocket watch and letting all the springs kind of pouring out and then seeing if you can put it back together because if you do that then you've kind of built a watch right no no that's a that is a real dog's dinner of uh, mixed analogies and metaphors there but you kind of get what i'm getting at right that i'm i'm fascinated by how stories work and i think when i look at listeners front pages and I know because loads of you have written to me but I've done a bunch and I think just like we start 
seeing language again for the first time when we really look at it and we examine what's this first line doing what is the job of a first line what can a first line do what are the different what are some different moves that different authors have used what are some standard categories we can put different types of opening bid the first page is just such a rich place to look at dialogue to look at exposition um, and because they're intended that they are kind of creating a world ex nihilo that we are a, a, a we are appearing in this world that was just a black void and anything could be in it and then we start a story they're really useful because i can read one out and we're all equally qualified to understand it as as listeners because we're readers hitting a new story and either it's going to work for us or it doesn't so it's just always been so useful and actually the reason that i i ended up back in the mists of time when i started doing death of a thousand cuts as a blog the reason that i wanted that I ended up doing first pages and picking first pages as something to examine was the fact that I used to write uh, critiques on people's whole novels. I used to do stuff for the literary consultancy in Cornerstones, both of whom, whom kind of people would are like private agencies that people would send novels to that they weren't currently able to find a market for or they weren't able to find an, an agent or an editor for. And we would write reports on them. And I just found that I'd often, just my analysis of the first page, my of my sentence by sentence breakdown of what was going on in the, the first page or so, often took like over 50% of the report because so many things that were problems there were then just repeated and amplified through the entire book. And actually the assumptions that went into the first page then... You know, they, a first page is like a microcosm of the whole thing. And yeah, you can have amazing first pages that then the rest of the book doesn't live up to the promise of. You can have amazing first pages and then like just the structure isn't quite right. And there are, it doesn't, it's not a catch-all. And I think the better the novel, the harder it is to find those things in a, a first page. But there's always, I think, something fruitful in looking at first page even if it just like even if the first page just fucking knocks it out the park and is just an incredible just connects perfectly i'd love to get one of those i'd love to get like a near perfect first page because then we could talk about all the things that does super 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 well and um maybe i should pick out a couple of books and look at some first pages that i think are successful so we can have a talk about them because uh, that can be really fun as well. Just like, like I say, taking apart the pocket watch and going, okay, this thing worked once. Let's rip it apart and see what happens. Anyway, that's uh, the bread and butter of the show. That's something I often do, uh, and I know from a lot of you that's one of your that's one of the most popular things I do as well. So I'm going to continue doing those, and I, I enjoy doing them. They're quite a lot of work uh, to put together, but I enjoy doing them and. It's just it's useful for me as well to keep the old editing uh, muscles uh, ripped. Also, uh, there is the Death, to, Death of a Thousand Cuts Couch to 80K Writing Boot Camp, which is an eight week free course where you can it's like it basically it requires it asks 10 minutes of writing of you a day and it's split into, I think, 48 episodes, six times eight yeah 48 episodes where you listen to the, you listen to one a day over eight weeks with a day off every week and 
it just says hello i talk about something i give you a little writing task related to that concept of the day and then it times you for 10 minutes there's just 10 minutes of silence and then i go Whoa! at the end stop and you go shit shit and uh that's one of the things that's it a constant piece of feedback is people nearly uh, soiling their breeches at the end of the 10 minutes and um uh, it's it's just something I I just personally amuses me. I'm really sorry. It's like a really shit habit of mine. And if I do any more exercise based things, there's gonna be it's gonna they get the ten minutes will end with a soft gogging sound or equivalent. That is my guarantee to you, dear friend. Uh, I didn't deliberately do it to shit people up. Um, but uh, well, no, I just didn't. I'm not gonna do it again. But um, otherwise, I've not solved the cause very well. I don't have to. Like, there's, I've had over 200 testim- uh, unsolicited testimonials from people who've done it and really enjoyed it. If you are kind of buzzing around the edges of it, if you've heard about it and you'd like to give it a go, it's all there on my SoundCloud page and on my website. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. But um, Couch to 80K Writing Bootcamp, Death of a Thousand Cuts. You look it up, it's all there. It's all free. It's not a uh, it's not a sales funnel for anything except for you writing and you listening to the course and uh, hopefully hopefully uh, becoming inured to the uh, sound of my voice giving you writing advice. But it's um it's it's just there because it was something that I needed for myself. Really, uh, it's just something I wanted to l- revisit my assumptions about writing because i was having a having a shitty time with writing and and it's turned out to be something that's been really helpful to a bunch of people so please do give it a go the final thing i do in lots of episodes is chat to authors and i'm really enjoying doing that and it's it's very selfish of me because i i just do it to scratch my own itch because i want to chat to these people i want to find these things out i want to speak to other authors it's a lonely old job writing and being you know I run the size of a service elevator for most of your life staring at a screen theoretically writing words that are at some stage going to be good enough that someone wants to pay you money for the order you've put them in that's what writing is right but it's made a lot easier if you create yourself a little community a little water cooler and i've really loved speaking to all the writers i've had on so far i recommend wholeheartedly if you haven't listened to all the episodes where i'm chatting to someone else another author i you know if there is truth it must come from a range of voices and i don't think just me wise sagacious um hugely charismatic and uh, strangely attractive though i am I don't think I can tell you everything about writing, and that's the reason uh, it's worthwhile that you listen to the episodes. Um, it, I was going to say that's the reason why I put them together, but it's not at all. That would be a complete lie. The reason I did was purely selfish reasons. I wanted to speak to these authors because I wanted to strip mine their brains for advice, wisdom, little moves, tactics, anything I can do to optimize my writing for being a shit hot b thumping good read and uh, c enjoyable to do 
And that's what I'm slowly pulling out from all of these. And I guarantee my second pledge to you today, my second Timmy C pledge to you is that if you listen to any of those episodes, you will not find a single episode out there that doesn't contain something that will be relevant to your writing, that will improve it in some tangible, specific way, that will give you some piece of wisdom if you listen to the whole episode, that you will be able to then take back to your people in the village of your novel and say, here, tonight we shall feast. It is so useful to me, and I've got some interviews coming up that I'm so frigging psyched about uh, that I'm not going to talk about until they drop basically I don't believe in um, teasing them except in the kind of coyest most annoying way but um, I I feel really emboldened uh, from the success of various episodes I've done and from doing a few experiments as well so I've um, I've I've really enjoyed. For example, there's been a lovely response from the J for the James W. Pennebaker episode I did, where I uh, talked to the social psychologist James Pennebaker about his work analysing language with various computer models, looking at pronouns uh, and how the usage of them can predict someone's risk of likelihood that they're going to commit suicide i mean like you know content warning on that episode there it does go to some serious places uh but it also it's not all uh you know to paraphrase uh the scottish psychologist rd lang it's not all about breakdown sometimes it can be breakthrough and we also go into a lot of detail into his studies about how expressive writing can not only help people get over or recover from or grow out of a deeply traumatic, sad, upsetting, shocking life events, but how expressive writing can improve their physical health, how it can improve their uh, their uh, the antibodies in their bloodstream and make them more resistant to disease, how it can physically make them heal physical wounds stronger and there are over 200 follow-up studies you can go online and look for yourself it is an actual thing the mechanisms of how it works are still under hotly investigated contested and source source of endless academic and medical controversy but the fact that the thing actually happens is uh, pretty much verified and uh, replicated and peer-reviewed and it, it was incredible to actually get to speak to an international leading expert in his field and how we can apply this shit to our writing because like, like lots of people have to talk about writing and creative writing and how to do a qu- query letter and and, and, that, and it's not that it's, it's not that you don't ever need to um, sometimes send an email to someone to an agent um to find to do stuff about the industry and you know how how do I promote my book those are all things that I think are important but I've been really proud I'm especially proud of the episodes we've done where we're talking about stuff that no one else is talking about in the creative writing and fiction writing uh, fields Uh, we're going like how can this benefit us how can this make you maybe make you a bit weller how could you leverage your writing to give yourself a happier better life because you deserve that and a lot of 
what I hear on sometimes on creative writing podcasts, but over you know, in, especially in creative writing journalism, is people trying to prove how much of a writer they are and how writerly they, they are, and they're writing writing advice from I said writing a lot in that sentence um, from a position of authority and they're passing it down they're handing it down but the implication is I'm able to hand this down because I am the real deal I'm an authentic writer and and what I want to say to you is I think it's really important to one challenge those things and to not necessarily accept someone's position on this is the way things are done because there's almost always an exception. But two, I think it's really important for you to start thinking, why do I care about this? And why do I want this? And how, it's not like, are you are you a writer? Because you're going to have to deal with having a really low income. Are you want to be a writer? Because you're going to have to deal with, you know, days and weeks and months of agony and struggle. Do you want to be a writer? Because you're going to have to deal with terrible procrastination. Ha 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 ha. I don't, I, I just... I think there's a lot of really I hate I hate the uh, 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 term de jour in uh, modern in contemporary discourse toxic, which is uh, overused to the point of uh, of tedium. But I think it's I think there's lots of unhealthy assumptions we share about what what a writer needs to do and what writing is and how much a writer earns and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, ju- I just really enjoy getting to speak to these people and talk about stuff and get some of this out here and let people speak honestly and have people on where I can say, what what's it like to write? Did you find this difficult? And have some of them just be really wonderfully honest and and also just talk about stuff around writing. And, and let's actually break down. I really loved being able to have an episode where I talked to Grant Howitt, who's a role, tabletop role-playing games writer, and he came up with oh fuck it was so good it was so interesting to me the one bit of advice that for example in that episode really stuck with me is when he said look when players are creating characters to play in an adventure as he said you know if you create these really long backstories you'd think that would be rich to create really long backstories with the genealogy of your character's family and where they grew up and what they want and 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 who you know their various histories with people he said that's actually like bogs you down quite badly and there's something hugely uh useful and powerful and liberating and exciting about just having a character who is a name and a couple of traits and then you give them an item like they're carrying their mother's second best sword and immediately it's like second best now do we know why well i'm sure as i'm saying it you can immediately start coming up with some explanations and some backstories and perhaps even some tension but the point is we don't need to know that yet we can get moving with the story, with the adventure, with the challenges that character faces, and then later it's going to come out. We'll find it. It'll it'll come back. It's we've just we've just lit that fuse and let it start hissing. And I think all that kind of stuff has been really useful to me. And and I just want to say thank you for letting me do these episodes where I get to experiment a little bit and speak to people who don't normally get spoken to 
with regards to fiction and also speak to some fucking great writers right and uh, ask them a bunch of impertinent questions but i think getting to chat about this and i just want to give you different ways to look at your writing because if you know if you're stuck if you've been finding it difficult if you want inspiration you've already hit all the normal ports of call all the normal ways that the standard ways that you would get through writing you might have read the standard manuals and i just this is what creativity is isn't it it's about it's about doing something differently and doing the opposite and seeing what happens so it if you haven't listened to this style of episode, what I am doing now, what you are hearing, um, that was all a very uh, long-winded introduction way of saying that today's episode is a writing ramble. These are unscripted ones where I just talk about what's on my mind, talk about what I'm, what's uh, going on in my writing life as well. And, uh, you know, I am, I'm conscious that not everyone wants to hear is or is in any way interested in, like, the ongoing saga of uh, Tim Clare's writing career, right? Because first and foremost, you know, your fiction and your stories and your writing and your craft is what's important to you. And I, I don't contest that for a moment that that is, should be paramount. Uh, but I often think if I'm just coming and giving you a series of ex-cathedra pronouncements on the way writing is done without actually giving you insight into what my writing life is actually like then I may be well giving you a bunch of advice that has some to little concordance with the actual reality of being a writer and writing so it just keeps me honest to talk about these things that's the um that's my justification for doing it the reason i'm doing this and talking to you now is because i enjoy chatting to you and i enjoy the letters i get from you now because now there's a big enough audience that i get emails from you every day and i love it and i love hearing what you're up to i love hearing about your writing i love all of you who've been getting in touch on twitter and via facebook on twitter i'm at tim claire poet if you don't follow me and you want to um get in touch and if you go on my website timclairepoet.co.uk you can just click on the link in the right hand column that, that says contact me and you can drop me an email i'd love to hear what you're up to i'd love to hear if you've got any requests for stuff i can talk about any questions I, at the 100th episode we did a while back i just did a, a big q a just quick firing through uh questions that listeners have sent in really loved doing that and that's also the way that if you want to submit me your first page up to 250 words of the first page of your novel you can do that as well but i'd love to writing rambles are just a way for me to talk about where i'm at it helps me organize my thoughts on different things and i, I just enjoy and you get to hear me kind of like think out some of these ideas it is not for the faint-hearted however the first one i did of these uh back in season one to end season one went went on for over two hours i uh, went into some kind of fugue state and and just started i don't know like just downloading my entire opinions on how to be a writer and I, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it so much. And, and these are things that I end up sort of repeating in slightly condensed form later. But the reason I'm recording this episode now is because I enjoy doing it. Uh, I'm not going to justify it anymore. But um, just it, the reason I'm mentioning all that beforehand is just to warn you, here be dragons. Right, you still here? Awesome. Now it's it's pure, like, it's pure inside baseball here from here on in. It's all the way down now. This is the... This is the like premium deluxe club 
if you're still listening, you are one of the estimated 20% of people who didn't switch off, who didn't walk away, who want to know the inside scoop on writing. And so I'm going to give you all my all my best shit now uh, in the hope that you can walk away from this episode, whatever you're doing now, whether you're listening in the car, whether you're on a walk, whether you are sitting in your room uh, playing on uh, your Nintendo 3DS, Whatever you're doing now, if you are playing on a Nintendo 3DS right now, you've just gone, shit, fuck, is he in here with me? I'm, I assure you, dear friend, I'm not. Um, but I want to talk about where I'm at, and I'm going to try and load it with as many teachable moments as I can, that when you go away from this episode, you are going to, have, you are going to be wiser, you are going to be more enthusiastic, you are going to be more capable, and hopefully you're going to just sit down and do some fucking writing the moment this episode ends. I don't care if you don't have the time, make time, that person can wait 10 minutes while you do a bit of writing pretend you're going to the loo and take your writing your notepad with you it'll be okay but we can do some writing i'm gonna do some writing when this episode ends and hopefully so are you so you may have heard my announcement uh by now that uh canongate are going to publish my next novel which is called the ice house and it's going to be out in may 2019 so that's the i so I mean, I've we did. Uh, there was an announcement in the bookseller last week, which is the just industry publishing industry trade thing, and they've released a kind of uh, a draft version of, of of the cover, which looks really nice. And I just thought I'd talk a little bit about making that book because I haven't been able to talk really. I, I know I've alluded to the fact that I'm writing a novel, um, but for the life of the show, I've not super been able to talk about loads of the ice house because it's been a work in progress and i've been trying to sell it and stuff like that and and actually some other reasons which are that i've i had some struggles with it as well and i felt embarrassed and i felt slightly fraudulent and so i think i want to talk about that really because the temptation as a writer is to always present yourself as a bastion of incredible competence and skill and talent. And I think that partially arises from a tendency we've had in the past to talk about writing as something that can't be taught, but in fact as something that you are. That you are a writer. Writers write, that's what they say, isn't it? Writers write and therefore if you're not writing or if you're writing perhaps badly or if you find it in any way a struggle perhaps it's because you don't have the gene perhaps you're not part of the bloodline the special aristocracy of cultural legitimacy that comprises actual authors you know because it, oh, you know when I was growing up as well authors seemed like a rarefied exciting uh, subspecies of humanity but you either were an author or you weren't you either were a storyteller or you weren't it was a very binary thing and uh, I think one of the wonders of our modern age one of the things that's very exciting and good and relieving and occasionally confusing but mostly positive is that we're starting to revise some of our assumptions about binaries and categories and something being this thing or 
being something else and understanding that language is just a guide and a rule of thumb and a model and sometimes the model it proves to not represent reality exactly and when that happens you want to change it you want to change it otherwise anyone who doesn't uh starts to get into pretty ludicrous conspiracy theories to maintain the relevance of their original model and i like certainty as much as anyone else right but i and sometimes it produces funny things right so you know when plate tectonic theory started started becoming the dominant model uh for explaining how the continents were formed and the seas were and and, and continental drift started to rise to scientific prom- prominence you know you had we had a lot of re- responses to that from people who said no 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 this can't be possibly true and you have wonderful uh wonderful theorists like le plongeon who uh who come up with the modern day kind of like atlantis conspiracy theories and you know hidden histories to explain and lemuria as a way of explaining why lemurs exist on madagascar rather than continental drift because they couldn't they couldn't update their model of the world and i think the world would be a uh, a less colorful place without some of those stupid and scientifically incorrect myths but most of the time it just leads to people uh, uh being unpleasant and mean to one another so that's a, that was a real yeah there's always going to be some little asides into my areas of interest which are always secret societies conspiracy theories that kind of thing but it's very modern like it's a very modern uh problem isn't it people uh, drifting away from reality when the models they have for the world uh, don't fit them and, and and we are vulnerable to that as writers right we want easy answers and certainty as much as anyone else in the world and if you don't if you're not aware of that and if you don't allow yourself some of that you know like i'm a vulnerable human too of course i want things to be easy and obvious and i would love well, you know that's the tendency isn't it you go well look i'm happy to buy into this idea that you are i the the advantage of buying into the idea that either you're an, a writer or you're not is the you the hope that something's going to happen usually the you know your your unconscious assumption is publication right that is going to conf- either confirm that you are a writer or it's going to confirm that you are in fact not a writer and that is a very safe model of the world to have isn't it because then you go look if I get published, then doink, I've been uh, bonked on the head by the uh, the by the uh, star nubbined uh, wand of legitimacy. The little uh, book fairy flutters down and goes, boink, you are a author. And look, and here is a published and bound book. I now feel legitimate. I can now walk into my office every morning, switch on the computer and with a kind of pianist's flourish, place my fingers upon the keys and write once upon a time. He gazed across the room, a crystal decanter in his supinated hand. Supinated. I don't know. If, yeah, it would be supinated, pronated. Yeah, it would be supinated. I think I may have used that slightly wanky formulation before, but you imagine that that's what's going to happen, right? You get published and then you feel legit. 
and or you try to write you fuck it up and then and then you're allowed to quit if it gets difficult and you get frustrated then the theory is ah then i will know why i'm not a writer and all the pressure of trying and that uncertainty of will i won't i is gone oh i'm not a writer right i don't have any of these pressures and someone who's not a writer doesn't feel bad about not writing right because like, i'm not a writer either you are or you aren't so i don't have to feel any guilt because i'm not a writer because it, it, you know and any more than i have to feel guilt because i'm not in the north sea breathing through my gills i'm not a mackerel <laughs> You know, you'd go, well, you wouldn't expect it. That's not my job. That's, you know, it's crazy, right? It's, uh, you know, with... I apologise for that slightly ableist language. I, I feel that I'm slightly reclaiming it as someone who has chronic mental health issues. But it is ludicrous. It is bananas that, that, that we unconsciously still propagate this idea of like essentially a cultural caste system where some people are writers and some people aren't writers and writers can't be taught it's something you either have or you don't look you you either choose it or you don't you either choose to to write or you don't i i, I don't deny that for a second that um you can't be forced at you know, I mean you could be forced at gunpoint in a somewhat bizarre set of circumstances to write but you you get to choose whether you do it or not and you can have uh, life circumstances that are conducive to the creative uh enterprise or are uh adverse and uh, antagonistic to the creative enterprise but you can learn of course you of course you fucking can you complete prannies what's wrong with anyone who says writing is a, either a gift or you don't have it oh you oh you can ref, you can ref, perhaps you can refine perhaps you can turn a good writer into a great writer but you can't no 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 anyone with the rudimentary cognitive skills to read uh can write creatively and make stories anyone can and the talent techniques can be taught and if you don't think they can be taught, then I would suggest that you have done no proper investigation into creative writing pedagogy. You've not done the literally. I've done over, I've taught over a thousand creative writing workshops now. I've looked at people's manuscripts. I, I watch people learn how to write. I watch people who get better all the way down from I've taught from like year zero. Uh which I can't remember, what's year zero? That's reception. So like four and five-year-olds. I've taught four and five-year-olds like stories, right? I've, you know, we can't write their own name. We've made up stories together. All the way up to PhD level. Uh, you know, I've run workshops with 60 people, you know, with PhDs and MA students. And I've taught adults and I've taught the retirees, right? And I'm saying anyone can learn to write and you can improve. It's just your choice, really, what you put into it. Uh, and that's not meaning to guilt at trip anyone. I know life circumstances and stuff like that, but it's definitely not something you inherit. And But the, if, if I sound angry about it, it's because 
this is something we've been told and this is something that we internalize whether we rationally believe it or not and it's something i've internalized and and for those exact reasons that there is something very alluring about the idea that you're going to get published and then it's going to be fine i believed that for so long that i was going to get my first book out and then i was just going to step in to this identity that had been uh, awaiting me like the other half of some of some noble medallion one half of which i'd like worn around my neck since i was found uh as a uh you know as a foundling uh in the uh, on the doorstep of a of a nunnery was going to be reunited with the other half of uh that medallion and uh, my true ancestry as a capital w writer would be revealed and i would step into the tim who was a master writer and here i go tim clare the author tim clare the true storyteller the you know this is there's a proliferation of this uh of the language of creative writing masterclass have you seen have you look for creative writing how rarely now do we get fiction classes as opposed to fiction masterclasses advertised um what's the difference nobody nobody will say nobody will say often it's just that the person teaching it has had a book out right and i I don't it's this pumping up and this grandiosity which i dare say you know appeals to a certain type of person with a lot of you know middle class person maybe with money who wants to pay for one of those courses but it's not helpful and it feels good fuck I'm teaching a masterclass. I've taught things that have been advertised as poetry masterclass with Tim Clare. Poetry masterclass. Fuck off. Fuck off. What stupid, what stupid thing to write. Do you read that sentence back to poetry masterclass with Tim Clare? Like, am I one of the poetry masters? Am I? No. Then why the fuck did you write that in your copy? Because it would sell tickets. Yeah, well, well done. It did, but it's made us all stupider. It's made us all sadder. Why are we doing that to ourselves? So um, today I'm going to teach you a, uh, I guess a, so this is like a seven-point masterclass, I'd call it. No, I'm joking. I, I just want to talk about so cover a few things I learned from writing The Ice House. I started writing it at the Edinburgh Fringe in August 2014. So that was before the honours came out. And I was just like, right, I'm just going to roll with this. I'm going to keep moving. I've got the ideas in my head. I've got the characters starting to build up. Let's go. And I didn't have very much time because I was doing two shows up there. Plus, I think I did about 100-odd gigs that month. Um, And it was a very busy time. But I I made some time to do some writing as well. I think think maybe I wrote only five to 10,000 words that month. But I started writing then and kept pushing it and i finished doing my edits two weeks ago (laughs) and now they've done the announcement that's four fucking years guys that's a long time i think it probably took me that long to write the honors though you know including all the research before i started writing and that's not really a sustainable uh speed for a career i'll tell you now unless you are unless i'd have to be selling a lot more than i am now i've got i've got i've got literary pacing in in my writing my my writing speed is literary 
my sales are poetry <laughs> that is the t- that is too real but it's no i no actually the honest did pretty well uh for a uh, for a debut that's not had its release in b format paperback yet um it it's it's actually done fine but whew, you know you as you can imagine four fucking years and it's actually it's not going to be out till may 2019 the honors was out in april 2015 so that's a four year gap between books holy shit now i've been doing other stuff since then but you know what and so what happened in those four years was it really a book that needed four years to be completed uh yes and no uh, I just want to talk about it a little bit, and I'm going to talk to you. Uh, I guess today's episode is going to be seven things I've learned from writing my difficult second novel. And when I say I've learned, more these are seven th- points that are kind of like hang off the process. I, I'm not sure that you ever totally learn a lot of deep truths about writing, so much as have to constantly remind yourself of them. So they they tend to be like seven north stars that I. I'm I'm talking to you now to remind myself of uh, seven beliefs that I've developed about writing. And as with any healthy belief, I think they're still subject to change and they're still in flux. And my thoughts about writing are constantly, it's constantly being adjusted by the people I speak to, by the authors I speak to on this show, by the writing I do. And I think that's really important because if they weren't, then what the fuck is the point of speaking to people and asking their advice? If your beliefs aren't at some at at some level a little bit a little bit still molten a little bit mouldable a a little bit corrigible, so I'm going to talk about that, and I just ask you to you know keep your keep your beliefs about that's the main thing I'd like you to reflect on actually uh, from this episode is can you soften some of your beliefs around writing and around your writing and about around what a story is and about ways of working can you just i'm not asking you to get rid of them because i know you won't um you won't that quickly but can you just soften them a little bit and allow the possibility of adjustment because that's a that is a if you've been feeling stressed or down about writing just softening some of your beliefs Remembering, recognising them as beliefs is a just a instantly calmer, more abundant, more fruitful place to be. So there's been an announcement about the Ice House, but there's not really any details uh, out about it yet. Um, it is a story that I guess starts off in... Uh, the late noughties so it's 2008 and it stars the protagonist is a woman called Delphine who is at the story start 86 years old uh, and it is the story of her dealing with something from her past I guess what I'd say like you know I'm a fantasy author right uh I guess one of the things that kicked off my thoughts about the honours and my thoughts about the Ice House was an essay I read by Diana Wynne-Jones, who wrote Howl's Moving Castle, amongst other um, tremendous children's books, who passed away a few years ago. 
And she was talking about how frustrated and how irked she was at C.S. Lewis's Narnia books insofar as they had a portal to another world uh, which could only be could only be traversed by children and once you became an adult you couldn't get to Narnia in the way that you could as a child and she said what a horrible horrible message to send to children that imagination and possibility and creativity and all those and wonder is something only accessible to you and only proper to children and when you become an adult it's no longer your domain and uh, you're no longer allowed to access those things now i think it's debatable whether that is actually c.s lewis's purpose in in in, in writing and, and whether that's a metaphor that one can uh, reliably uh, infer from the narnia books i happen to be a, a really big fan of uh, c.s lewis's the screw tape letters and i do think the lion and witch in the wardrobe is a fucking good book i think uh c.s lewis is a an interesting fellow i think the inklings uh had some things that they did tremendously well and uh, i think they could also be a bunch of uh priggish arrogant cocks sometimes <laughs> as well i uh, and um, it's nice that their position in the literary canon has been uh, troubled and disturbed. Uh, but also, there's a baby in that bathwater and they wrote some fucking... Well, certainly Lewis and, and Tolkien wrote some, I think, undeniably important and undeniably really fucking good uh, fantasy literature. But I digress. Um, I just was really interested in what would happen if the opposite were true. What if there were a, a portal that could only admit you if you are old what if this realm of wonder and fan the fantastical and the strange and the deeply weird was only accessible was only available to uh, those who had lived a, a a long life that's the premise upon which the honors and the ice house was originally conceived and founded and uh, everything else that i've read written for the past i mean i i i first alluded to be thinking about the not honors i believe in like an interview i did in australia in 2011 so that's seven years ago but that's been the time it's been ticking over in my mind and developing and uh the ice house is the uh, the follow-up to the honors and it is also set in the same universe as the honors so uh you don't have to have read the honors to understand it uh and it includes some information for people who have read the honors but maybe have forgotten some of the content but uh it follows on from it it's not exactly a sequel but it is sort of um but it's also it's, it's it's a completely adequate jumping on point if you want to uh, get into it and it's a story anyway it's a story about this old woman called delphine who had some incredible trauma in her past and but is also getting on you know is 86 and feels like the story of her life is more or less over and kind of you know She's hanging around while God's stacking chairs now, really. 
and she uh, spends her life, you know, working her garden. Kind of things are winding down. And the story's kind of about what happens when she discovers that life isn't quite over yet. Isn't quite done with her. And it's a story about what surprised me is it turned out to be a, it turned out to be a love story actually there's a there's a I'm not a grim you know I'm not a grim dark writer I'm not someone who really believes in in baddies either I I believe in bad things happening and I believe in hate and anger and ill intent and uh acts that make the world worse uh but I don't really ever I don't ever write people as I don't don't ever really write monsters even when they might be by literal definitions a monster um it's a book about monsters that doesn't believe in monsters and uh there's also a second character in it who none of you whether you've read the honors or not will have uh, met and her name's Hagar Hagar Ingrey and she is a She is a she is centuries old, and she's also trapped in the internally youthful body of a ten-year-old girl, and she is looking for a way out. And that's kind of the book, really. It's about those two characters and following them and uh, following how their paths draw closer together and it took me a long time to write it's been described in the press release as uh epic literary fantasy which it's not certainly got not got the length of epic fantasy so one thing you might be interested in it it went all the way no 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 I'll, i'll get to this i'll get to this but anyway that's the sort of like premise of the book so here here we go seven things i've learned from writing my difficult second novel so one Fear is the mind killer. It is really, really hard to write well or write copious amounts or actually I think most importantly of all, enjoy it or to make any sort of palpable progress when you are feeling anxious. Now, (laughs) as someone who has a chronic anxiety disorder, as you can imagine, this presents some problems when approaching big creative projects. And the thing is, like, this would not come as, like, a huge surprise to you, right? Because the, the knowledge of that is not enough on its own. Or it might even make things worse. Like, you're not listening to this now going, oh, Tim, well, thanks for that, because I thought chronic anxiety would make my art super great and easier to do. Or oh, I feel like feeling shit about my writing and worrying whether it's good or not would be a huge benefit to my writing practice. So thanks for that. That's a real... Four years, did you say, it took you to write this? And that's your well, your number one piece of wisdom from your book, Tim, is that being afraid, being fearful, experiencing terror uh, makes your writing harder to do. Well, that is really, really useful. And, 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 and of course... You know, the knowledge of this or having that in in the forefront of your mind, you could rationally know, oh, uh, make, being afraid is, makes me less good at writing and makes me write less and makes me hate it. Right. So then you're afraid that you're getting afraid. You go, but I am afraid. 
and I know fear makes it worse. And I have to get this finished and I want it to be good. And so fear of fear. So actually knowing it, self-awareness might make it might make the problem worse, not better. So what the fuck? So why am I telling you this? Why am I telling you this? Well, because I think that knowing it is. It's certainly not enough on its own. I agree with uh, hypothetical you there. Uh, that's a reasonable position and it's something that I found myself like of course I knew that being anxious wasn't helping me but what do you do like this is the thing it's like how do you then what the techniques what are ways that you can reduce that anxiety because what people will tell you is oh step back from it for a while hmm 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 I mean there is stepping back there are ways and ways of stepping back from something and a lot of them look very much like procrastination. It's like I'm actually already stepping back from this project all the time to uh, play games on my uh, on my 3DS, to read something, to go for a walk. To there were I can step back from a project like I'm like the f- fucking like Navy Seal of stepping back from a project, right? Tell me, show me anyone who how. How prevalent do you think it is that people actually can't step back from a project? I would say, except for a couple of like Taipei, uh, you know, like uh, uh, f- a fingernail tracks in the arms of their armrests of their seat, super exec types, right? Most of us are fucking past masters when it comes to like ducking out of doing the fucking work right it's not a, why don't you step away from the project why don't you go and fuck yourself you oh oh do you know what i'm always so delighted when having worked on uh on a, my craft for years and years and years some rando brightly suggests a course of action i've already considered do you think i'm a moron once you what do you think oh step back from it oh i thought i thought i was i didn't realize i was allowed to step back from it i i've been i've i've not gone to bed for three weeks i've of course step back from it you absolute muppet we know we know right you've stepped back from stuff for weeks for months perhaps your entire life maybe something i stepped back from writing for fucking 10 years while i was suffering with anxiety from writing fiction and i was like oh I'll step back from it for 10 years we only get so long on this earth and i don't want to spend that time not doing stuff that sustains me that i love because people are sick of hearing me talk about being anxious and they what they say you know just just go and sit on the sofa and pull this cable knit rug over your knees have a cup of soup and watch jeremy kyle just i want to be able to do the things i care about and so there are other ways right and i actually want to speak to an expert about this i'm gonna i'll i'll do a bit of digging around and see if I can rustle up uh, someone who is actually an expert on this. Because I don't like talking about things like neuro... There's too much cod neuroscience around. I don't like talking about it without some actual actual studies and things to back it up. So we can, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of step, put a pin in this and we'll come back to it. Because I would like to get someone with some letters after their name who can talk about it a bit. 
so take anything I'm about to say on this uh, subject with a slight pinch of salt because I am not a neuroscientist. But my understanding of it is that uh, from the kind of brief uh, sort of dirdling around that I've done, that we when we're trying to be creative right you you want to be in a relaxed state because you want all the parts of your brain that deal with um with like daydreaming and free associating ideas and pulling things from memory and that kind of like loose uh, unfocused state of attention that uh, i think some people would may perhaps think of as being meditative but that idea of being able to relax into something, allow ideas to come together and associate uh, formally disassociated things and being creative and uh, uh, ruminating in the non-pejorative sense of sort of turning something over in a, again, like a slightly meditative attention state, that like kind of like loose flowing state. That is all... Uh, that is all the parts of your brain that... Uh, are require you to be relaxed require your parasympathetic nervous system to be making you feel okay that, that kind of like mystic contemplation can't be happening when a saber-toothed tiger is uh, stalking you through the brush right so we've got this other part of our brain which is like the amygdala which like switches on all the emergency systems takes over and says Let's avoid danger. Let's avoid pain. Let's be vigilant. Let's be alert. And let's be rational. And let's say, can this be done? What's Where are the threats? And it kind of switches that all of that on. And it, it's talked uh, a lot. You know, places talk about this idea of amygdala hijack. That when you get anxious, your amygdala like goes... And takes over the various executive functions of your brain and says, don't worry, I got this. Where, was the, where's the problem? Where's the, where's the threat? Where's the thing I could fuck up? And and we can override that, that tendency to drop into a mode that is about pain avoidance, about not making mistakes, about looking for threats and avoiding them and reducing the threat level. Um, we can override that with our using our rational mind, using our prefrontal cortex, right? And going, I I'm want to choose to to take risks, to put myself in a situation where I can make mistakes and fail. We do that all the time, right? So that's your prefrontal cortex, which overrides the logical thinking or or uses a higher logic to go, well, I understand that I'm going to make these short-term losses of like, ooh, I, I'm, I'm going to increase uncertainty because in within uncertainty is possibility. I understand that's perfectly logical. I am going to put myself, I want to be somewhere where I can brainstorm ideas. So you go, okay, I'm going to, your prefrontal cortex can make that decision as this kind of like super executive. But uh, when you're tired your prefrontal cortex is your executive functions are less have less strength and your more kind of like reptilian hindbrain um instinctual uh tendencies take over so immediately oh are you feeling a bit tired tonight well it is going to be harder for your prefrontal cortex to override the threat avoiding amygdala and when you are in this creative mode, right? 
I apologize. I know I'm using kind of vague terms because, like I say, I'm not a neuroscientist. Uh, I am just gesturing towards things and um, I'll do a, uh, I'll, I'll get someone on who can talk about this better because uh, we, you know, it was really great talking to, say, James W. Pennebaker about the different parts of the brain uh, responsible for different parts of the language. It was really, really interesting and he was able to. Uh, point to some of them and, and talk about uh, different types of words that are sourced from different parts of the brain but like for example when you drop into a, a state of uh of kind of like what sometimes be referred to as flow but certainly when you're allowing yourself to go into this sort of semi-dreamlike state where you're writing or coming up with writing ideas well the prefrontal cortex there has to take a back seat and when it does uh, all sorts of irrational fears can come up that it's that not there then available to police right uh, old fears memories of previous failures or humiliations or or, or sadnesses from t childhood or times you were teased for writing or times that you felt stupid or um it can open you up to a very childlike state and that that's very make that makes you feel very vulnerable, and in that state, it's very easy to get overridden by feeling crap and feeling afraid. And you want to switch on the amygdala and hunt down certainty, answers, predictable future. You want to start narrowing those choices down. And and people show this again and again that if you ask people, you know, do you want a bit of uncertainty? Uh, in exchange for creativity and possibility, they go, yeah, 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 yeah. But when they're actually presented with those choices, uh, they will very, very often actually opt for the things that start whittling choices down and give them more predictability, more certainty, less fuzziness. But fuzziness, fuzziness is the garden from which the great blooms of our stories, from where the answers grows. And so it's, it's such a, it's such a balancing act, and so I want you to understand it. It's, it's such a tricky thing as a writer. The place you are having to go to get your amazing ideas, those golden eggs are in the nest of a dragon. And that's the place you keep having to go to get them. And it's it's scary, and it plugs you into some very primal parts of yourself. And I don't want to sound too sort of like hippie-ish and mystic about it, but I think it's really true. The more I write and the more writers I speak to, the more I think this is true. Now, I might be wrong, and there's certainly some ways that we can refine the ways we're talking about it from a neuroscience point of view, and there's certain ways that we might rein in some claims we're making about this, some ways we can say, well, we can't actually locate that in this part of the brain. I'm not, I'm not meaning to... Uh, to, to gloss over my intuitions with this uh, patina of, new, of, of of sort of pseudoscience, but fuck, like, and when you have an anxiety disorder like me, that 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 hyper vigilance and that just craving of certainty is so it's such a siren song. It's hard. It's really really fucking hard. And when my first book came out, when the honours came out before then I was just I was flying I was writing so much and that's sort of number two in my things that I've learned is I can write a lot when I'm feeling good oh my god so 
sort of in December, January, February 2014, 2015, I was writing, I went up from 11,000 words a week to like 14k a week. And I was like, I was flying. I was like writing, I remember like a Tuesday morning in this very room when I wrote uh, 4,500 words in a morning. And most of those words have made it into the final book, right? With like, you know, I edited some stuff, but actually a lot of it was continuity. But that scene and those words, like they... They flow. They flowed out, and I wrote, and I was engaged, and I. And what I was doing is, when I got stuck, I would just leap forward to the next scene that I felt like I knew probably how to write, uh, and then I would just do that, and I just go, okay, we're going to jump to the next one. We're going to jump to the next place I can write, and I'm going to keep going, and I was producing a lot of stuff, and I was having fun, and I had some uncertainty, but I was allowing myself to take risks. And I was leaving gaps and, uh, you know, putting in placeholders for names. And I knew I could come back to them. It was okay. And as soon as the honours came out, and crucially, as soon as I started to get, as soon as I started to get some reviews and some people started saying they were enjoying it, I stopped. I stopped writing. Or I'd like I turned up and would just write a few lines and hate it and avoid it. And I started bunking off. I started getting really obsessed with board games and playing Netrunner. And I would like work on my decks for days. Play online. I'd go out and play games rather than write because I was so scared of writing. I've not really talked, I've not really been open about this, but I really, really, really fucking was so scared. And I went, I went, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't. It made me so unhappy. Because here was the thing that I was supposed to be able to do, that now I'd announced to the world, right? I've got a book out, and I was going and doing book events and going, hey, I'm a writer. Look at me, look at me. Here's my book. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't write. I was scared. And it was, I'm fine now, right? That's just, in case I don't want you to feel like desperate for me, I'm just trying to be honest about it. I'm trying to be honest about it because why don't you just fucking aren't we? Just make jokes about it. And it's not funny when it's happening to you. I was miserable. I was crying sometimes. It caused such anxiety for me. It caused arguments between me and my wife and stress because I felt like I needed more time, but I was wasting all the time I had and and time was moving on and I would write something it wouldn't be good enough and, and I would start writing and going, is this all going to be alright for the people who liked the book before? And I became very risk averse. That kind of amygdala hijacked my whole brain and my whole philosophy of writing was about avoiding pain rather than just like looking for adventure looking for treasure and i just want to say to you like you're not a loser if you felt that way if you've avoided your writing if you've chronically skived you're not a loser and the answer isn't to be shit to yourself the answer you feel that way precisely because you're trying and you're coming up against the difficulty if you avoided it, if you were actually skiving, if you didn't care, if you were actually lazy, you would not feel that tension because you wouldn't care. 
but you care. And this is why I want to say, like, I can write a lot when I'm feeling good. 14k a week is like, that's fucking amazing. That's great. That's brilliant. Right. And that's because I was being kind to myself and I was getting adventurous and excited and I was going to give it a go. And it doesn't matter if the thing you're working on, you get stuck, you can switch lanes and work on a new project, work on something else. You can create stuff. It's fine. You've just got to be bold and you've got to be brave and you've got to do it. And I I spoke to, you know, for example, when I spoke to Hayley Webster, if you haven't listened to that episode, listen to the one where I chat to Hayley and she talks about working on, you know, one, two, three, four, five different projects, six different projects simultaneously, reading all sorts of different books. And when she gets stuck on one, she moves on to a new one and she keeps going and switching between them and allowing herself that flexibility, allowing herself that kindness of saying, you do not have have to work and I know I know that you're worried that that is a kind of avoidance behavior in itself constantly starting 20 oh I I start new projects all the time Tim and I think there's something to be said for Neil Gaiman's central piece of writing advice uh finish things I think finishing things and pushing them over that hump and getting over that first uh you know there's there's the sort of 5,000 word hump. There's the 30,000 word hump. I think there's something to be said for like returning to stuff and working on it. But you do not have to write the first 30,000 words consecutively. You can jump to the set pieces. And I spoke to Lauren Groff this week and she talked about working on multiple different stories, multiple like a novel working on. She wrote two of her novels in parallel. And... She said that she was writing, she was working on, she was working on Fates and Furies. She had a piece of paper on one wall, on butcher paper on one wall, and a piece of butcher paper on the other, and she was running between them writing. And she would, she writes different projects in different places around the house. And I'm telling you, you have permission to work, write different things, to work on different stories, to move between things, to jump around. They will... They will lift one another. You know, you are cross-training, you're cross-pollinating. It's like you are just growing this ecosystem of creativity. And you're placing yourself and your joy and your love first. That's okay. the, The whip hand is not going to be the tool that gets you back on track. It's just going to... It's just going to make you associate creating with guilt and lack. The only way that I got back into writing was being kind to myself. And it was such, it's been so hard. I, it was the thing I feared most, being kind to myself and and just realising that I was a, a worthless piece of shit who couldn't write, who didn't, who wouldn't. I thought kindness was the worst thing. Come on, Tim, be tough on yourself. You're letting everyone down. And it was a mistake. Because I've seen myself write loads now. And it's important to notice it because it shows I'm not lazy. I told myself I was such a lazy waste of space and I didn't write and I'm not. I was confused, I was anxious and I was sad. But my high end skills is is fucking good. And I know I can do that again and I'm going to. And I can't wait to show you the stories that I come out with and i can't wait to share with you the the huge and spectacular failures i have as well on that road it's gonna be so exciting 
And I love and I love this, right? Because I can now share this with you, right? And that's number three, right? Number three from the seven things I've learned from writing my difficult second novel. I'm not alone. We are not alone. You are not alone. And you're not. I mean, it's, it, I, I, again, these are cliches until you break them down. But speaking with other authors on the show, the really, look, I'm able to... I have a water cooler now. I have a... A community. It's done so much for my state of mind. I remember one of the first authors I spoke to uh, was uh, Nikesh Shuckler, and I was chatting to him, and he talked about the importance of community and writing community and how much of a difference it made to him. And he was damn right. You know, we have the same difficulties. Or we have different... Sometimes authors struggle with stuff you that is a breeze for you, and you can go, oh, fuck. Oh, that's a talent I have. That's an error of strength I have that I would have just dismissed as being something anyone could do. Not necessarily. And some of the difficulties we share and we can work together on workarounds. You don't have to be you don't have to be solving your novel just on your own. You can come to us. You can come to me and we can work on this together, right? And these writers I'm talking to, they've had hidden worries. You know, I've talked to how many writers have I spoken to on the show who've struggled with a novel that maybe may or may not be finished or may be struggling with one right now. And they've, we've talked about it. <clears throat> I think almost everyone, not everyone has said that they were struggling, but almost everyone has, uh, that I've talked to has had some real difficulties in their writing, some real low points, some real psychologically low points, not just complications, but real tough moments and 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 they kept going and they got through it and, and you can too but you don't do it alone the myth of the lone author just producing stuff you know just just out there you know you imagine the helicopter shot going across the mountain as the lone mountaineer like climbs up bollocks we're here the community's here as long as you can get healthy people around you who are, don't make you feel worse every time and drained every time you speak to them. And you can be that person for other people as well. You can be the person who listens to other writers, asks how they're doing, help, help them out. I mean, uh, Gareth L. Powell, who came on the show, is such a... He makes himself so vulnerable on Twitter as well. He's really honest about difficulties he's having and hopes he's got for his novels and crying about really wanting to win an award i mean he's not he's not presenting a polished kind of like character to the world he's really really amazingly honest and he's also asks regularly if any writers need any help with stuff they're doing how can he help he just puts out positivity. It's an ama he's just it's it's an amazing thing to see and i'm, I'm so so he's so it's so anti what so much of Twitter is and it's it's lovely to see there's a writing community out there you know and, and we can work together and we can help each other um, and 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 you, you you're all right mate you're all right right now you're gonna be okay you know it, it, and, and and the writing community isn't just about telling you how to write query query letters or critiquing your work it can be about how to write more it can be putting you in touch with books and it can be just, we need to work, we need to have more of a discussion in writing on how we can write in a way that brings us fulfilment and joy. It's not just about writing the thing that is the most, you know, is the pinnacle of 
style or craft. It's not about just writing the thing that is the most ideologically on point. You are not, you are not, um, you're not a, you are not a drone for the advancement of the discourse. You're allowed to write stuff that makes you happy, that maybe not, doesn't even see the light of day. But consider how you can improve your writing in a way that makes you feel happier and more fulfilled. Four, remember your training. I just wish earlier I'd remembered to go back to basics. I was cutting so much shit out. Uh, just trying to, because I thought now I'm a professional writer, this is how it works. And I only have healed myself through going back to basics, remembering my drills, you know, remembering the stuff I did at uni, remembering the stuff I did at workshops, remembering just the bread and butter of being a creative who dirdles around, who plays, you know, and, and, you, but, and through those exercises, you can recreate that mind state. It's not about going, OK, I've got to play, I've got to be looser, I've got to be calm. The way you do that is by doing the games, right? This is what the whole Couch Sweaty K boot camp was me repairing myself as a writer. Because I thought I was going to give up, you know? I thought I wasn't going to finish The Ice House. I Multiple times during it, I was like, I'm fucking done with this. I cannot write. I cannot write. And I can never do this anymore. I can't do it. And, you know, we had Joe Dunthon on the show and he said the same, that he got to points with writing uh, The Adulterance where it's like, I can't do this and I don't think I enjoy writing anymore. And he said he felt depressed. And I just, I've had panic attacks about it. Going, I, because when I felt like I couldn't be a writer, I felt like I was coming apart. It's an incredible, it's an incredible thing <laughs> to try and write a novel. And it shouldn't be. We should, you know, it can be challenging, but it shouldn't be life or death. It shouldn't be this serious. And it doesn't need to be. That's not what it's about. And you can come, but there are, and there are practical ways through this. It isn't just about geeing yourself up. It's not about you telling, like I say, this prefrontal cortex can only do so much before it just gets tired out, right? And so we need some tools. And I think, you know, going back and doing your stretches, you know, Writing some lists, creative lists, writing some funny lists of funny names. I just made a bot online that you can go on Twitter and uh, piss about with. It's uh, called um, at A-A-A-A-A-A-A students. That's at 7A's students. Um, that's the Aloysius uh, Amaranth Ancient Academy of Applied Arcane arts uh, and you can go on there and you can at it with the word enroll and it will send you a it will send you a little uh, student id uh, of a of an imaginary student wizard at this academy it, it will tell you your name uh, your area of arcane study what your major is in um, it will tell you the spell you're working on for your thesis and it will tell, give you, like, your characters an advantage they have and a flaw that they have. And I really loved making it. It was so fun. 
you couldn't get me away from it. I was like up at night going, tick, 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 like coming up with new stuff for it. And that's what you can unlock when you do these things. And then you go, oh, I love writing. Oh, oh, I love stories. Oh, I enjoy this. Oh, I'm good at it. And those things can come as great revelations and great shocks. And I've had over 200 letters now from from people who've done the boot camp going, oh, saying, oh, thank you. You've helped me. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. You are a great teacher stroke man. No, they don't say that. No, but people just expressing real surprise and joy that they can write and that they like it and that interesting stuff is coming out and it sustains them. It's something that they thought was forever lost to them or maybe had never been theirs. And they started to suspect, as we I said at the beginning, that they were not writers. They were not part of this aristocracy. They were not part of the bloodline. And of course, there are practical ways through it. And then you retrain your brain. Do your 10 minute free writes. 10 minutes, start the clock, write about anything. Stop at the end of 10 minutes. The silly, loose, fun, unscary stuff that is going to start just shushing down your amygdala. It's going to say, there's no threat here. You're worried because of ghosts and echoes of things that happened before, but we're all right now. Let's play. We, you're never past workshopping. You're never past keeping a notebook. You, I mean, some writers don't keep a notebook and don't workshop and don't do uh, creative exercises. And they are... They are fucking themselves in the eye by doing that, right? They are making their lives harder. You could probably, you know, you can write books uh, avoiding all these tools that help them be more enjoyable and make creativity more fun. Of course you can do that, but it's like you're driving a car with the the handbrake on and all four tyres burst, just like kind of crunching and skidding on the rims. You can probably get somewhere. You'll fuck the car up. Like eventually, like the gearbox and the engine are going to give out. But you might be able to push it along the road doing, uh, working in this uh, shitful, hateful way. But you're going to make your life easier and your writing richer and your heart more filled with joy by giving yourself the gift of doing the silly piss about stuff. And it will make you more productive and it will do all that stuff that you've been trying to get to by being like going come on tim come on fucking right you stupid piece of shit 20 that you know we're gonna get twenty thousand words done this week come on you fucker it's not gonna that's that for you that feels like oh i'm being robust with myself doesn't work though does it never works you know what you need to do you need to use these techniques to be lovely to yourself because then you will get the productivity, then you will get the creativity, then you'll get all the shit that you cut. You, this is why. This is why I say like this is why you want to listen to the episodes where we speak to other authors, and and experiment. Give yourself the looseness and the the softness of beliefs to try doing the opposite for forty eight hours and see what happens. See if doing the counter, whether doing the counterintuitive thing actually shake something loose doing the thing that you always feared was the thing you've been running away from or avoiding seeing whether that makes a difference five in the seven things i've learned from writing my difficult second novel the first five minutes are the hardest you know the toughest part of writing and i know you know this is the first five to ten minutes when you sit down right that is the pain the worry in fact i'm going to go further i think it's the five to ten minutes before you start writing because because once you've started writing and you're like five minutes in you're in right it's not always plain sailing from that point on it's not always pleasurable it's not always completely free of disappointment and stress but 
it's better and it's manageable and you are dealing with it. That's one of the reasons I take cold showers now. I know I sound... I know I sound slightly potty when I say uh, evangelise for cold showers. But the worst part of taking a cold shower is the first 30 seconds. Then it's fine. It really is fine. In fact, look, I, the worst part is the 60 seconds before I step under. The first 30 seconds are actually quite nice. It, it, the, first, the worst part is the build-up to doing it and going, oh, no, 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 I'm feeling myself resisting. And the longer I delay, the longer that unpleasant bit is... When I've, and I've, you know, the past couple of weeks, I've had a bit of backsliding, but like at my best, I've just been like going, oh, there's no need to worry and stepping in and you just, and there's no, there's no ceremony at all. And, and, and you just reduce that and you can, you can work on it. And the more you practice, the more you can reduce that resistance and that worry and that stressed part down to almost nothing. And it is a glorious and actually fighting that dragon and, and slaying it and moving on, actually conquering that fear feels fucking great. And I know you can do it with your... this, And this is what doing the 10-minute free rights can do, is you just have a, a practice. And they're by no means something that I've made up, right? This is like Dorothea Brand writing her 1936 book on becoming a writer. I think that's what it's called. Um, you know, talk about morning pages. The, you know where you're getting up and you're writing now you don't need to do half an hour the moment you wake up i mean any of us with kids know that's just not possible but doing 10 minutes at some point as, as many as often as you can and certainly whenever you're feeling shit about your writing sit down do it set your timer on your phone 10 minutes free write anything you will never feel worse afterwards and you're just teaching yourself you're teaching your you're teaching your brain you're teaching your amygdala you're going look nothing bad happens when we do this over and over and over until you slow and you'll slowly desensitize until it becomes the easiest thing in the world to slip into this creative subconscious mode and then you're going to start having gnarly dreams then you're going to start the ideas are going to start flooding faster than you can deal with them and then you're going to have to make some decisions about your life right but it's exciting six the first draft really can be bad people will say like you can make this the first draft shit um it's very hard in practice to do that without constantly looking over your shoulder especially me thinking about the people out there you uh you know it wasn't the bad the bad reviews people who didn't you didn't engage with the story didn't like it didn't bother me at all it was people who loved it who i was like oh you're you're gonna i start i'd write a sentence and then look at it and go will these hypothetical people like this Will the ways in which this book is completely different from the others anger them and disappoint them and make them shake their heads sadly? Because I don't like writing the same book again and again. And I have made what I think are some really exciting choices that change what it's about and put it in a completely different... Like I say, it's not a sequel in the sense that it's not the, it's not the second part in a way you have to have read the first one. And I was scared. And it gummed me up, right? And it's hard, but you just got to forget, forget, forget. And, you know, I say you're allowed. It's not like the, the way people talk about it, they go, oh, you can be shit. It doesn't have to be good. It just has to be done. Which is all very well, but it makes it sound like writing a first draft is just this forced march through shitville, right? Well, if you're thinking about it in that way, is it any surprise 
that maybe sometimes you don't totally feel enthused about writing. I mean, really, you know, do you, if you're going, well, you just got to fucking get through the first draft, you know, through gritted teeth. Oh, God, it's going to be awful. Remember, the first draft is going to be shit. But no, your first draft is going to be full of all the stuff that makes your book good. Your first draft is going to be full of wonder and experiment. And an experiment and doesn't, you know, experiment only fails if you don't learn something from it, right? Uh, an experiment where you go, will will this will this uh will this rocket fly if i uh, attach this um a bottle of pepsi and mentos to the bottom well if it doesn't fly and there's in fact an explosion and uh, then it's not a failed experiment you have got a an answer out of that test right which is that no it won't fly that's a bad idea but you've learned something and you've advanced your knowledge. Well, then it's a successful experiment. Your first draft, you just just play. I mean, like I overdid it with with the ice house, and I just I just second guessed myself again and again and again and again and again. And I wrote over a quarter of a million words, and it's now cut down to a length about half that. It's basically the same length as the honors. So. It's epic in terms of lore. My God, there's so much world building behind it. A lot of which I spared the reader to create a book that's lean and interesting and just is about what the characters care about rather than about me explaining how the legal system works or various different religions in the world or an entire potted history of the world. Then I just, you know, focused on what was important to the characters and there's a richness there, but I don't think all of that was necessary. And a lot of scenes were just obsessively rewritten and rewritten in this kind of this perfectionism that borders on. It makes you a kind of creative miser. You don't want to give anything away. You hoard and hoard and hoard anything that might be good, and you're so afraid. And I just, I just want to say, like, it's it's not about going. Just get it done. Just get the first draft done. And I, I do. That's not that. Does that sound joyful to you? Does that make you want to sit down and write? It doesn't make me want to sit down and write. I would suggest that it's just, I would see it more as this vast unexplored land. And you can just go out there with your fucking paint cannon and start just soaking stuff in all different colours and just go absolutely hog wild. Go ape shit. This is just an entire, this is an entire china shop that you can just strap your horns on and just fuck up. This pristine china shop and you just get to charge in and start fucking shit up. That's how the first draft is. You haven't, you are under no pressure to be good. So you might as well be interesting. I mean... I would suggest, on a slightly less violent metaphor, just go and watch some YouTube videos of painters, you know, like some painting tutorials, and, and watch them, like, or, you know, uh, using Photoshop or something like that to do art, and, and watch them, how they build up layers of colour and detail. And I'm completely 100% serious about this. Go and do it, right? If this is something you've struggled with, go and do it. And watch them do, you know, sketches of character models or of 
you know building up blocks of color for landscapes and and how the how detail comes in late and what they're doing is they're blocking out the rough structure and if they were looking at that and going is this a good does this if they had a, a if they were constantly going is this a good painting if someone if i had had to stop the process now and someone came in would they turn around and go you're not a real painter that's shit that's just some brown and some green like is that a re- is that a reasonable way to think about it? And if you watch a couple, you'll go, well, of course it's not. It's fucking stupid. But then we do that to ourselves with our first drafts all the time. And I think that's the and that's a really useful analogy you can keep in your mind and something that can help you. You know, the, the, the first draft is concept art. It's test sketches. It's going, what if this? What if this? What if this? That's fucking rich and enjoyable. Going, oh, it doesn't matter. We've just got to fucking get it done. So I've got some fucking lines down. So I've got some... That's not fun. It's like going, what about this? What about this? How about... That's one of my daughter Suki's favourite phrases at the moment. She goes, how about this, daddy? How about this, dada? How about you put my hat on? And she'll just, like, give me her little pink hat and try and stick it on my head. Or she'll go... How about you stick this man up nose and she'll try and like push a little a little Playmobil dude's foot up my nostril. And and fair enough, it's an interesting development in the game to have suddenly have the one character have their foot plunged into a giant's nose. She's right. She it's it's interesting and that's what I'd say to you. You need to be going, how about this? What if the train they're on just comes off a fucking bridge in the next scene what if it just comes straight off the fucking bridge that's what you can do in a first draft there's no rule it's your world you can do whatever you like you can just be outrageous experiment with form and plot and all that it's okay it's your world you can do whatever you like and the seventh thing in my seven uh, things i've learned from writing my second difficult second novel is is writing really is redrafting writing really is redrafting oh gosh my god everyone had promised you know every all the stuff i read said you know when you the first draft of anything is shit which as i say i don't think it's helpful for you to think about that because it means that like a whole portion of writing your novel is supposed to be dreadful actually i think you can really enjoy it and it's just permission for your first draft can can just come out can just just like it can just like wander around the house in a skanky old dressing gown eating a bowl of crunching up cornflakes farting and 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 just being and just having fun you know it doesn't have to doesn't have to show off to anyone it's got nothing to prove and when you come to redraft that's when you can start showing off and that's when you can start doing some cool shit and oh my god my work improved so much through the redrafting process and you know with the help of re- other readers beta readers friends having a look at it giving me feedback of my agent my editor again just like pulled my ass out of the fire and said do this don't do this change this and just made me look so much more intelligent than i really am and and it's, it feels amazing right and you just write this first draft full of joy and wonder and and just where you are i mean my goodness it's so much easier to do anything when you kind of reframe it to yourself as mischief so you write this first draft and you go i'm just gonna fucking be so naughty 
and that's how you should be doing right and you go Hoo-hoo. and then you fill it with the clues and sweeties and just bits of awesome stuff for yourself right you just you just impregnate it with all this amazing uh seeds that you just plant 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 all over and then you just let this storm wash through it and you edit 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 and you, this doesn't work i'm going to take this out and when the storm clears what's left are these little islands of awesome and then you come back in and you sow more amazing stuff in the spaces left by the shit stuff that's been washed away and then another storm and another community rebuilding project and now the proportion of gaps to awesome little islands they're they're starting to connect up connect up together into a little continents and and then another storm and over and over this washing away and keeping the survivors until one draft you look and you go oh actually this is pretty fucking neat um and that's why it's worth sticking it in a drawer actually because uh accidentally because of a because of an email fuck up that's nobody's fault but just meant that a completed draft ended up sitting in an outbox for three and a half months and not being read by anyone um because of that it gave me a three-month gap from my own from the work i'd been staring at for three and a half years and my god when i came back it was so much easier to edit and it was very obvious to me that some bits were fucking amazing and i was like oh Actually, there are definitely bits that are shit that I can cut. That well, I wasn't wrong when I thought it was imperfect. It fucking is. There's some dire stuff here. But it's really obvious to me now what it is. And it's also obvious to me that there are some bits that are the best stuff that I write. That just make... I just read and it just gives my brain and my heart both just get boners. I'm just like, this is amazing. This is really good. This is super fun. I'm sorry for that analogy. Um... <laughs> That's, this is what happens when you don't script isn't it it just eventually it all comes out tim everything's a boner to you no but it's just why not right why can't we be excited about these things not sexually excited just intellectually excited i just you know i came back and i read it and there were some bits that were shit and i could cut them but i was excited about cutting them because the rest of it i was looking at and going actually this fucking slaps this is excellent and i think it's okay to you can earn that through hard work and through caring so i think that's probably a good point to end it on um at some stage i'm gonna you know in in the future if you've got oh by the way if you've got with me this far then thank you for sticking around i hope that there's some stuff in there that's been useful to you been interesting to you and that helps you with your own writing, gives you some places to, to return to, gives you some way in. So just to remind you, those seven things were fear is the mind killer. Two, you can write a lot when you're feeling good. Three, you're not alone. Four, remember your basic training. Five, the first five minutes are the hardest. Six, your first draft can be really bad that's fine and seven writing is redrafting those are the seven things that i've learned and i hope that um some of that seeps into your brain and tonight just just kind of like 
just like floats just through osmosis kind of seeps through the topsoil down into the um into the deep reaches of your brain and you take this to heart because you can write well and be happy and potentially make a career out of it those things are all you will have to admit even if you don't accept that they're likely I, I hope that you will concede that those three propositions, you can write well, you can enjoy it, and you can make a career out of it, are possible. I think you have to intellectually concede that. And the fact that that's possible... Isn't that lovely? At some stage I will, um, when it becomes available for pre-order, um, I'll let you all know about the Ice House. I, I When that happens, I'm going to apply... Um, pressure both subtle and explicit for you to pre-order it because I want to sell a bunch and I'd like everyone who listens to this I'd really love you to read it because I've worked really fucking hard on it and it's my life and I think you're going to enjoy it and I think it's pretty neat so if you want to support me the best way you possibly can support me in this podcast is going to be pre-ordering the Ice House when it's available and I will let you know and then I will not shut up about it because it's going to be very important to me but for now fortunately yeah, that's not available if you would like to do anything to support the podcast the main way you can do that is uh, by buying my book the ice house uh which is a really good way to, for you to prep for the release of uh, no the honors is in the name of my did i say the honors or the ice house i don't know so the main way you can do it is is by buying my currently released book the honors uh, which is in the same universe. I'll put a link in the uh, show notes. If you've been... I know some of you have been waiting and kind of thinking, oh, I must get that at some stage. Just let your little impulse control off. Let your let your prefrontal cortex have a little break and, 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 buy, and buy my book. And then you're just going to get an amazing gift in the post and you're going to read it and you're going to have a fucking rad time because it's sick. It's The Sickness is a good book. Um... And if you just want to support the podcast, then I am always open to uh, you bunging me a, a few cheeky quids, a few happy little bucks through my coffee page. Again, that's just uh, ko-fi.com forward slash Tim Clare. And that just helps me uh, keep the lights on here in Clare Towers. But mainly, I just want to wish you sincerely in my heart just a fucking good time writing i'm gonna i'm gonna do 10 minutes now actually once i finish this i'm gonna get out my uh writing notepad and write for 10 minutes ne i never feel worse after doing a 10 minute uh writing blast i'm just gonna do a free write for 10 minutes i hope you'll join join me uh, either you can do it on your podcast i'm not gonna leave a timer on here i'll just let you do it but when we finished either get on your laptop get out your notebook set a timer for 10 minutes write a free write on whatever you want it can be you can free associate on the subject of your work in progress or and i would you know nudge you towards this if you're not sure just see what first line comes out and keep writing keep the pen moving if you're not sure what to write go i don't know i don't know i don't know and feel free to switch scenes jump about start with a voice start with a third person do whatever you like just get into that let's get into the habit of finding these moments these snatched moments these 10 minutes these 20 minutes and i'm just fucking about okay that's it thank you so much for listening um 
I appreciate your patronage and your the courtesy of your turning up and lending me your ear so much. Your writing is going to be, you're going to write so many amazing things you just cannot even imagine are in your head. And the time to write is now. We're alive. The world's our oyster. Let's do it.